Hello, my name is Tyler Town, and I will be having a conversation with Desi Hendra for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans-identifying people. It is July 11th, 2018, and this is being recorded at my apartment in Sunset Park. So Desi, why don't you start by telling me when and where you were born? Uh, I was born in Los Gatos, California in 1987. Um, yeah, I have not spent a lot of time in Los Gatos though, but like that was the closest hospital to where we lived. So, Where did you grow up? Milpitas. It's a small town between San Jose and Fremont. What was it like growing up there? It was good because we were not like super close to um, an insanely big city. It was like a very suburb, but like easy to get around places. And we weren't too far from San Francisco. So if we wanted to go to the city, we could. Um, but there was also like up in the hills, a little bit of like overnight camping areas. And I don't know. It was nice. I particularly like that I grew up before there were cell phones because I used to just sort of wander after school and then my parents couldn't find me until I came home. So what was your childhood like? I mean, that's a question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Complicated? Uh, There were good things and bad things and everything in between. Um, I have two older brothers. So, um, growing up, I was always very proud of being like a tomboy and all that. Um, but my mom used to try to force me into dresses, which I did not care for, except if she made them by hand. I really liked her handmade dresses. Um, the more elaborate, the better. I had one that was like five different pieces. It had like bloomers and a petticoat and then like apron over the top and it was just my favorite for some reason because if I'm going to wear a dress apparently I'm going to wear a dress (laughs) um but yeah like used to go to the park near our house all the time uh we had trees in our backyard for climbing um things were mostly normal I'd say um I don't know. Is there anything in particular you mean, or just like the general feeling? What was your relationship like with your siblings? Um, it was good. Um, I mean, like, hmm. I have a really good relationship with my one of my brothers now. Um, I'm pretty much one of his best friends. He doesn't have a lot of friends. The other brother, we don't really talk to very much. Um, He's gotten into a lot of trouble in his life, though. So it's not what I would very much consider a good person, but he's my brother. Um, I don't know. Do you want to go into things that are, like, tend to have, like, contact warnings? or? Uh, There are content warnings in the video, so you can 
feel free to... Okay, I mean, so, complicated relationship with my brothers. When I was a kid, because I have uh, older cousins, too, that were also male, um, they had a very interesting uh, want to explore female bodies, and I was their test subject. So, I had very tense relationship with them for a long time, but I didn't really understand why, because I was young when everything happened, and I was wanted to be center of attention, so I liked that they were paying attention to me, but, like, also realized that this things are not, should not be happening. So, it, I don't know. Complicated. But, um, I'm also not one to hold on to things. My, the one brother that we don't like has done things to other people, and so, and, like, some people that I care about a lot, and so I really don't like him. Um, but the other brother, I don't, I don't even know. We don't talk about it. But we've managed to have a good relationship now. So. <laughs> oh, there's one thing. Relationship with my brothers. Okay, so I have one brother who's uh, 16 months older than me. And then the other brother is only three years older than me. So when we were small children, my parents would, you know, bathe us together because that's what you do when you have kids. Which was unfortunate when we got to the pooping in the tub phase. But that was uh, not me, and also not the part of the story. There was a time when I was about four, when uh, after one said bath, I went to my mom and asked her when I was going to grow one. And she had to apparently sit me down and tell me that I was not going to. And I think it upset me quite a bit, but I also blocked out all said sort of sex talks with my parents. I don't remember any of them, although they said that they had them. So... What kind of relationships do you have with the rest of your family now? Mm, I honestly don't have much of a relationship with them anymore. Um, I had a good close relationship with my parents when I still lived in California. Um, after moving to New York and then after figuring out uh, gender and sexuality things about myself, it's been hard to maintain that relationship. Uh, I don't share the same beliefs with them, and I've been doing a lot of activism stuff, so it's hard to talk to them about anything, because they want to know what I'm doing with my life, and I can't, I don't want to tell them, oh, I, you know, went to march in the Pride Parade with the Democratic Socialists of America, and telling that to my Republican father probably would not go over super well. Um, so... I've managed to maintain having a relationship with them by just not talking about things. Um, I haven't talked to like any of my aunts or uncles in ages, and my grandma stopped talking to me after she met Sage. 
much. So she'll talk to me when I'm there and if I call her, but apparently after she met Sage, she like went to my mom and my aunt's like, what, is, what does she think she's doing? And I was like, not your choice. So. I mean, on one hand, I do kind of miss them and miss having that kind of relationship, but also I kind of find it relieving to not have to work at it. So. What kind of community have you found that's been able to embrace the things that you enjoy and more of who you are? Um, the intersection of my community are like queer burners. Um, because I love queer people. I want to collect them all like Pokemon. <laughs> um, and I have been, and it's been wonderful and amazing. And I love like having all these warm, loving people in my life. And not to say that all queer people are loving and warm, but like the ones that I have are. And, um, and that's happened mostly in the last year that we have been like collecting all these people that are kind of amazing and super accepting and, they're like, oh, you think you want to do this thing? Go do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. You're going to be amazing. And it's like, oh, I kind of failed and it sucked. That's awesome. You did a thing. And that's kind of wonderful. Um, and the same with burners. So even if they're not uh, queer burners, which is the intersection of said groups, um, burners themselves are super accepting and excitable. And um, while they can be flighty, they're also super supportive and kind of awesome like there's a lot of like motivation and inspiration and a lot of artisticness that goes on with like burner type people so yeah i'm getting really excited because we're going to burning man again this year and we, we're we only have like six more weeks left to finish planning but uh we're actually trying to get a couple people that we met recently um to go to burning man with us so i'm really really excited last year we brought robin um, to Burning Man and um, she decided to go or we, she got a ticket and everything together in like the last two weeks before Burning Man and this time we've got a little bit more time to help these people <laughs> plan their voyage out there but it's still like I love that we're introducing more people into this world that is unique and insane and amazing and I want to bring more people more queer burners would you mind telling me more about this world? Um, Burning Man? Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's no clear-cut way to describe Burning Man, really. Um, it is an amazing community that is built from nothing. Literally nothing. They build up the whole city in the middle of the desert in Nevada. And each group brings their own whatever. Like, there's a camp that does a 24-hour tea house. There are ones that do uh, bars. Or there's one that had, like, a whole kink room set up. There was an orgy dome. There was um, the thunder dome, which is where you have, like, these swings and you, like, fight at each other to see who can knock the other person off of their thing first. And um, there are, um, like, pretty much if you can think of it, there's a camp that has it. There's one that last year there was a camp called Transformation, and the way, what they did was they uh, sprayed everyone down with foam and like rinsed everyone off. 
And if you're in the desert for, you know, however many days, and you can't take a real proper shower for that much time, being hosed off, even like in a room full of a bunch of other naked people, is amazing. And, um, but yeah, they, it's just kind of amazing. Um, there are cars that go around on open playa and they're, they play music. They are in the shape of weird animals or things. And some of them shoot fire. Some of them play loud music. Some of them are a big, basically DJ booth that goes somewhere, plants and then plays music and everyone comes over and dances. And, um, there are art installations all over the place some of them are very weird. Some of them are, um, actually some of them are recurring. So there's like this tree that goes up every year that is made of, uh, some sort of metal and led lights and the lights are changing color all the time. Um, and, um, some of the art pieces are burned throughout the week. And then of course the man and the temple, um, the temple, I don't think people talk about very often. Um, in, the standard setup for Burning Man, right in the middle of the city, is the man. And everyone knows that the man burns. But on Sunday night, there's a temple, which is just a little bit farther out from the city, um, but in the same line with the man. And the temple burns Sunday night. And whereas when the man burns, there's all this cheering and raucous partying, and people go out and do insane, like, have a lot of fun, um, when the temple burns, it's silent. And that's because the whole week uh, leading up to the temple burn, people will go there and they will put pictures and letters and write on the temple itself. Um, pictures of people that they've lost, people, pictures of people that they've loved. Um, written words about parts of themselves that they want to leave behind. And when you walk in there, uh, like close to the end of the week, there's such... A powerful energy in there that it, like you can't walk in there look at anything and not cry um, which is why when it when they burn it and it's releasing all of that into the universe up to the heavens whatever you believe in or if you don't believe in anything just bursting into flames then there's another kind of energy that settles over everyone it's kind of a peace kind of a release, which is why everyone is silent. Said more, or should are you gonna move on? I'm, I'm <laughs> just yeah. Even that was really powerful. That was really amazing. When was the first time you heard the term trans or came across the idea of gender non-conforming people? I don't remember if there was a time before this. I think that there probably was. But the first time that I remember it sticking in my head was when I was taking a women's studies class in college. Um, I was taking a women's studies class and they had a trans man come in to talk to us. 
And I remember looking at this guy thinking he was the most amazing person I've ever seen in my entire life. And like having a very strong pull towards this person where I really wanted to talk to him. I wanted to know more about him, know more about his story. And I did go up to him after class and talk to him briefly, but not not much and not about anything important. And I never saw him again. But that was the first time that I really, that I know I interacted with a transgender person. Um, yeah. What was that experience like for you? Um, delightfully confusing. Um, I remember when he came into the class, I was very hung up on, um, on gender, on the perception of his gender, trying to figure out, like, what he would have looked like as a woman, and, you know, the things that people go through when they're still figuring these things out. Um, and just being, like, fascinated that, like, he knew for absolute certainty that this was what he wanted, and, like, this is the path I'm taking, and these are the questions that people tend to ask me, and these are the things that I tell them, and these are the things that you shouldn't ask somebody, and these are the things that I tell them, and, um, and yeah, like, things about, like, top surgery, like, and, and bottom surgery, and, like, the different, and all sorts of things, and, like, I remember just being blown away and overwhelmed, and, like, I've never really considered that much about gender before and I was fascinated and I wanted to know more but like also did not want to be rude <laughs> so when did you first start questioning gender for yourself um, so like earnestly started questioning probably a year and a half ago, but when I started thinking about it then, I remembered back to like all these different times throughout my life where I've either fought against gender roles or, um, <clears throat> like part of my own self-discovery was realizing that in my head there were frequently times where I viewed myself as male and... Um, like to the point where I would have a crush on a gay guy and logically I knew that he wouldn't be attracted to me because I was female and, but like part of my brain still didn't understand it because like I realized that in part of me, I viewed myself as not the gender I was presenting. And... So, I don't know, it's just, like, I look back at my life and, like, that time when I was four and I asked my mom when I was going to grow a penis, realizing that I wasn't going to, and then when my boobs started growing in and I realized there was nothing I could do about it, um, like, I never wanted boobs. I refused to wear a bra until I was already a C-cup because I didn't want them. And fighting against my conservative family and their views of gender roles where... I was forced to learn how to cook things where my brothers weren't. And it's like, why aren't you making them do this thing? You should make them do this thing too. Why, why is it like this? Because you're the girl. Why is that a thing? Why is that okay? Um, and realizing, and also like when my, 
my oldest brother, he grew his hair really long, and my uh, grandpa would call him Christine. And one hand, that was amusing, but on the other hand, it did bug him. But on the other hand, he also kind of liked it. <laughs> so, I don't know, there's just... I also kind of always... I don't know, it's just very confusing. A lot of different points in my life where it's just... As I started to connect the dots, it made a lot more sense. But it wasn't until a year and a half ago I was at a um, board gaming convention. And I had a dream where I was making out with a friend of mine, a female friend of mine. And I was like, that's odd. And I had to like come out to, or not come out, but I had to admit this to um, Sage. Um, Sage and I weren't dating, but we were, um, like, really close, really good friends. And actually, no, we were almost dating at that point, besides the point. But um, I had to tell her this, and um, I realized that when, in my dream, when I realized that I had to tell her this, that I, the feelings I was having in my dream were not just in my dream. Not towards this person, I don't have any feelings towards this person, but like I was attracted to her. And in realizing that I was not necessarily straight, I then started reevaluating my idea of my own gender. And that's when I started realizing that there were points in time when I viewed myself as male. I actually thought that I always viewed myself as male. And then realized that that's not, also not the case. Um, I, I thought that I always viewed myself as male, but because I made myself become okay with having breasts and presenting femininely, that I must, like, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, I don't know, but because I, oh yeah, because I uh, got myself to be okay with having those things, that it was just that, that I and forced myself to be okay with it, not that I actually was at some points in time. So, like, my understanding of my gender has gone through a few iterations as I've been figuring it out, and I'm sure that it'll go through several more, but um, I went from thinking that I was probably um, internally uh, a guy to realizing that it changes. And that I'm more frequently somewhere in the middle um, in the great gender expanse. Um, but sometimes I'm delightfully feminine and I like it. And that's okay. Can you tell me about your relationship with Sage? Uh, how much time do we have? <laughs> um, my relationship with Sage. Sage and I have been on a very interesting journey together. Um, when we started dating, or when we first dated three years ago, um, we were, from our own perspectives, a cishet couple. And... That has very much so changed. Um, but yeah, we dated 
for a few months. Then we stopped dating, but continued to hook up. And then when she started dating somebody else, we stopped doing that and figured we just, that would be it. We wouldn't even be friends. But instead, we became the best of friends. And um, yeah, we became super, super close. Um, we continued having a little bit of physical intimacy, like cuddling, but that was purely platonic. Like, I got to a place of complete and utter only friendship, which was great. Um, after a few months of that, we slept together again, and that started up very minimally. And then after a couple months of that, Sage got the feelings. And I was like, I'm sorry, I don't feel the same. <laughs> um, but I figured I might as well poke around inside to see if they were still in there. And about a month later, my feelings for her had come back. And so we started dating. And in that time, we've been through even more of a roller coaster. There was, all the way up to Burning Man last year, we were still... Sage was discovering herself and going through transition and figuring out more of who Sage was. And I was still stuck solidly in what we call the shell. I was in my shell. And um, the shell was like my familial and societal expectations that I had sort of like encased myself in. Like, this is who I'm supposed to be. This is how I'm supposed to uh, support my partner in basically having like no life or interest outside of myself. And I was just pretty much like all about her, which was not great. Um, but, uh, we went to Burning Man and I know it's a huge cliche having a life changing experience at Burning Man, but, um, all the way up to, or like in the month or so leading up to Burning Man, Sage got to a point where she was definitely going to break up with me, but, uh, because we had Burning Man coming up and our plans relied so heavily on each other, she wasn't going to do it until after. Makes sense, but still not great. <laughs> um, but at Burning Man, there was one night where, um, the intoxicants, which we were on, um, worked for me, but didn't work for her. We lost our friends and she just became super, super miserable. And she was angry and she was frustrated and she was taking it all out on me. And, um, and I'm sitting there tripping my face off going, I can't even deal with this. Um, we get to a quieter place, get her to leave her bike, which is having all sorts of issues. She needs to get it fixed. And I lay down on the hammock that somebody had laid out in front of our friend's tent. And I'm staring at the stars, watching them dance between each other to the beat of the music. And this is such a beautiful moment that when Sage calls me over to help her with something, something inside me just broke. I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And we call that the time where my, my shell shattered because at that point in time, Sage, the, the dead name version of her was rearing its very ugly head. And uh, the person I am now does not like dead name Sage. And the person she is, Sage, does not like my old uh, iteration of myself. And so we were at this interesting crossroads where she was becoming more herself. I was still fully encased, but then like this huge uprearing of dead name came up and I was just like, 
I can't. And just burst out. And I was like, I can't do this. And it's very, very fortunate that that did happen because that let me become the person that I am. Re-become. Because I've, I've been here before. It's just... I built the shell somewhere in my early 20s and haven't been able to break back out of it until then. And like a couple days later, we had a really good talk. And ever since that moment, everything has been pretty amazing. Yeah, it gets better and better all the time. Um, but yeah, it's kind of amazing how close we got to missing each other. And as bad as that night was, I'm really, really glad it happened. Because I don't know how much longer I would have stayed in that shell. Had she broken up with me without me having a chance to break out, then I don't know if I'd stayed in it my whole life. And also then I wouldn't, I, we both would have missed out on the amazing relationship we have now. So... How do you feel that shell was constructed, you said, in your early 20s? Yeah. Um, I think it actually was constructed mainly around um, the expectations I, I was facing of being, being a woman and having this supporting role in life and what that looks like in relationships and what that looks like in society. So, like, my parents expected me to behave in a certain way. And um, being in a relationship, I was expected to... It wasn't even put on me by my partners, so I can't say it's their fault, and I wouldn't ever say that. But based on, like, everything that is sort of shoved at you down your throat from society, like, this is how you're supposed to behave in a relationship. This is, like, the way... Um, this is the way you keep someone in a relationship with you. This is how you show them that you love them. This is how, um, this is how you woman. And it wasn't a right fit for me. So it was built externally to fool the world, fool myself. How did you feel after your shell broke? Liberated. Um, the person I am now, I mean, it's a better version than I was then, but like, it's the same kind of person I was back in like high school before I cared. Um, I don't know why I suddenly cared what everyone thought of me, but somewhere in there I did. But in high school I didn't. And I was just sort of eclectic and weird is what most people said and it was kind of lovely and I'm a better version of that version of me now what is it like being in a relationship with someone that may not have a directly similar journey but something parallel to yours it's kind of nice, actually, because we can commiserate about things together 
And we understand... We understand. There's a certain amount of things that cis people, most cis people, I'll not say all, don't understand about the trans narrative and the feelings and, for lack of a better word, journey that we take. Um, so it's nice that I'm not having to constantly explain, oh, this is why this feels weird to me. This is why this is dysphoric. Um, I just say, hey, my boobs are dysphoric. And she's like, I get that. Not having boobs is dysphoric for me. <laughs> um, and I don't know. It's, it's nice because, like, even though I'm not a trans lady, um, I definitely, definitely um, understand that uh, perspective. And so I'm able to also, like, also because I was socialized a female like I can also be like hey this is how this happened with me this is how it happened for me with puberty 1.0 so these things are normal for you and um like yeah it's kind of nice because I can give her like advice and tips and like tell her about oh yeah these are the things that you know were forced on me but here have them instead <laughs> um but yeah like we can talk about things and it's a greater understanding so it's not like um I don't know it's just not uh it's not a emotional burden on the other person to vent about things to um talk about medical things to um ask her to do my injections because like I can't do needles <laughs> um yeah so it's I think it's definitely beneficial and it's it's really nice. I'm not sure how it works in a non-dual trans relationship because I have not tried that. <laughs> so. What were your ideas of New York City like before you came? So have you seen the TV show How I Met Your Mother? Okay, so basically it's, uh, like, I didn't have a lot of real expectations. Uh, I never, I had never visited New York before I moved here. Um, I drove through here once about a year before I moved. And I almost got out of the car once, but realized that where we stopped was, uh, it was on Canal Street and there was no parking or no stopping or whatever. And so I did not even get out of the car. Um, I moved here, um, with the anticipation of working at being on Broadway, but once I got here and realized how terrible it is to work on Broadway, I didn't actually want to do that, but by the time I realized that, I'd already kind of fallen in love with the city and started making friends and just kind of wanted to see where it went. Um... Like, I do still want to do theater. There's an experimental theater group um, called the New York Neo-Futurists that I really want to... Uh, I want to join them. I auditioned once, but I didn't get in. And I was going to audition again this year, but when the auditions came around, I was just so overwhelmed with other life stuff that I just... I ended up having to email them saying, I'm really sorry, but I can't. Um, and I'm a little bummed about that, but I know I made the right decision there. So... 
but hopefully eventually. They actually have now a couple um, non-binary people in the cast, so that's really exciting. Um, so yeah, they just hired another one um, in the last round of auditions. So they also hired someone with my dead name, so that was a little weird for me. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so um, I'm a, they're kind of great, weird, mostly queer, and I'd love to join them some at some point, and that seems like a lot, much better um, group for me to be in than Broadway. Yeah. How would you describe your experience as a non-binary person in this climate of mostly binary trans visibility? Frustrating. Um, it's great that there's more visibility for transgender people, and I do not begrudge the minimal amount of acceptance that uh, binary trans people are getting because it is minimal and it's not taking away from me. It's just, it's steps in the right direction. Um, I have experienced, um, I don't know, I don't know how to phrase it, like a prejudice or not really prejudice, but um, I'm not sure if transphobia is really the word, but like uh, from other trans people against me because I don't appear to be trans and I am not binary trans person, so they don't necessarily acknowledge that as a real identity, which is unfortunate and weird. It's like, if you, if you can under, if you can view that there is other options than what was, what were given to you the day you were born, like, if you see that your gender is not what you were assigned, then why can't it be not the only ones that have been assigned so far? Like, I, I don't... Open-minded, but closed. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, but also, like, trying to explain being non-binary to our HR lady was really, really interesting and weird. <laughs> um, I'm not out at work yet, but she knows. And I would really like to eventually come out because I'd like to have people actually using my pronouns because it's a little grating to be called she all the time. What are your pronouns? Uh, they, them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, at work, people don't know, so they don't know to use anything different. But when I sat down to talk to um, our HR person about something different, but we ended up talking about this, um, she had a lot of questions and didn't really understand, but like, kind of, she's like, okay, yeah, like, you can be transgender, um, you can be a trans a woman, you can be a trans man, so it makes sense that there would be, like, other options, right? So she's kind of getting it, she still doesn't quite get it. Um, 
But, like, you get that with people who even understand intimately what it's like to be trans. So, I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling on. How is it feeling somewhat feeling not so accepted within certain aspects of the trans community? It kind of sucks. Um... Like, I find myself wanting more and more to find ways to present more androgynous and have something about me that shows that I'm not a cis woman. Because until I tell someone that I'm on HRT, people just assume that I'm cis. And while their opinions of me don't really matter, Like, it sucks to not have that visibility, not to have people, like, I don't know, see me for who I am, so. Can you tell me about a time when you felt seen? off the top of my head. So how did you meet your partner Sage? Um, so when I first uh, moved to New York, um, I wanted to find friends, of course. And so I started going to a weekly board game meetup because I love board games. So I should meet people that like to play board games because then we'll be friends over board games, right? Um, And we went to, it's called Neek. um, And it met at a bar and it's just, it's right across the street from NYU. Um, And I had been going for several months, um, probably almost a year by the time um, one day I was in there and chatting with people and there was this very loud, very rambunctious person, um, that was ecstatically talking about, uh, latkes. And I was like, oh, you're Jewish. And what are these latka things? And she promised me that one day she would make me latkes. And being some random person from board game night, I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. That may or may not ever happen. But she was really cute, so I followed up. Um, we planned a day of playing the board game Game of Thrones, which is a six-hour board game, so it's a whole day, um, with a group of uh, mostly my friends. They were, like, the only friends that I had in New York City so far, and um, at her apartment. And we were playing, and it got to a point where someone fucked me over right near the end to the point where I could not win, so I helped her win. Because I'm like, I'm, I'll be damned if you win, so help her win instead. Also, she, I had a crush on her, so I was like, that might help me. Um, but yeah, after that, I stayed to help clean up, and we chatted a really long time. And then um, got her to agree to go out to lunch with me just to hang out. And then um, eventually asked her out on a date, which she said no. And... Um, but then we ended up going on a date anyway, and yeah. Such is the story of our beginnings in board games. 
So what was it like? I want to scratch that. Oh my god. <laughs> that was so, I love that story so much. <laughs> <laughs> was Neek the only place that you were seeking friends at the time, or were you looking anywhere else for friends? Um, it was really the only place I was looking for friends at the time. Um, like, I found a job within, like, a couple months of moving to the city. And, uh, I had, um, kind of, like, work friend people, but not, like, people that I actually hang out with. Um, I didn't actually make any friends until December. I moved to the city in February. I made my first friend, like actual friend in December. Um, his name is Jeff. I made friends with him because he had one of those uh, smartwatches on and I just reached over and swiped at it. It was also a board game night. So, um, so yeah, Jeff became like my best friend and he introduced me to a few other people who became my friends too. And they were the core group that I hung out with for a long while, probably a year. And then um, after I started dating Sage, she introduced me to like the inner circle of uh, the board game crew people, and I became friends with them. And interestingly enough, like we spent a lot of time with these people and were becoming really, really good friends with them, and now we hardly hang out with any of them but that's just because our lives have changed so much recently that it's just, as much as we love board games, as much as we like those people, they're not, like, the people that we want to focus our energy on as much, so. What kind of people do you find yourself focusing more of your energy on? The queers. <laughs> yeah, like, um, it was about a year ago now that we met uh, our friend Robin, and uh, we actually met her at the Pex Summer Festival, which is a burner-type festival, um, and and then we ended up taking her to Burning Man a few months, a couple months later, and yeah, like from her, we've met a bunch of other people. From um, from Sage's transition, she met a bunch of other trans ladies, and so we've just slowly been finding all these wonderful and amazing people in the queer community that we jive with a lot better than we did with anybody that we've met so far, so. What has your experience been like accessing tea? Um, it's been pretty easy for me so far, actually. Um, I go to Mount Sinai and they have this amazing website called MyChart, um, where um, you can request your refills directly from there. Um, after my first, uh, my very first prescription of tea, um, when I went to get it renewed because my doctor wasn't available for six weeks from our my initial appointment. Um, and the prescription is only for four weeks of it. I needed to have it extended so that I would still be on it by the time I saw her again. I tried emailing her and got a message back saying that she was out of the office and wasn't going to be in until the day that I was supposed to take my next shot. 
And I was freaking out. And I wasn't set up on my chart yet, so I didn't know what to do. And I'm emailing her. I'm emailing the people that she put uh, as, like, the people to contact. I'm calling the hospital being, like, and leaving messages with their answering service. And, like, going, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, what do I do? And it wasn't until, like, that Tuesday that I found that the person that I emailed that was from her email response, her auto response, had sent a prescription. Oh, also the pharmacy I was using had closed. So not only did I need them, somebody else to send me the prescription, I needed them to send it to a pharmacy that they didn't have in their system. But eventually it worked out. That headache was over. I got the, uh, the next uh, batch of tea and and the needles and syringes, because that's also a prescription. Um, and since then, when I went to my next appointment, I made sure to sign up for my chart. And after being on there, even though when they sent it to the pharmacy, for some reason the pharmacy didn't get the needles and syringes prescription, all I had to do was go on the website, request that they refill, and they had it within a couple hours. And ever since figuring out and actually signing up for their website service, it's been seamless. Like I actually just got a new bottle a few days ago and I took my first shot from it this morning. So, um, so yeah, that's been a lot less of a headache once I actually figured out their system. <laughs> so, but like also with this uh, current batch of testosterone on my list of prescriptions, it doesn't have it because I don't ha I'm not pre-approved for any refills. So I can't just go to the pharmacy and be like, hey, refill this thing. Um, but they had a thing for other, and all I had to do is testosterone, which wrote it in there, and then my doctor went in and approved it. So it was within like two hours of sending that in that my pharmacy texted me saying it was ready to pick up. So, highly recommend. <laughs> What are the biggest challenges that you faced around being trans? I mean, probably the visibility for me personally, um, because if I'm feeling femme and I want to wear femme things, I still feel, I feel like if I'm wearing a dress and I'm happy to be wearing the dress at that point in time, but I'm telling somebody that I'm trans, I feel like I'm lying to them, even though I'm not. And then when I'm feeling more mask or if I'm feeling somewhere in the gender expanse and I don't have a way to express it or, um, like people can't see it. And I know it's not all about the expression and the visibility. It's about how you feel about it. But not having that visibility kind of sucks. And like, I want to get a uh, breast reduction so that I have a little bit more flexibility in that area because I tried a binder and a binder on my boobs just feels like I'm smuggling a ham and it's very uncomfortable. I don't like it. Um, but I feel like if I had smaller breasts, then like I could wear a dress and it'd be fine. I could have boobs when I want to have boobs. And then I could wear things that sort of hide them more when I don't feel like it. Um, but trying to figure out that procedure 
is frustratingly complicated because there's not a lot of understanding of non-binary um, in the medical field, especially. Like, to get my insurance to pay for a breast reduction for gender dysphoria reasons is going to be a headache and a half. Probably 14 headaches and a half. Because if I were a trans guy and getting my breasts completely removed, they have a narrative for that. That's something, I mean, they're still going to fight it because they don't want to pay. But that's something that has been done and something that they understand. But trying to then tell them, no, there are other genders besides the two that you currently have on your books. And there are other ways that people need to express this through augmentations of some sort. It's, I don't know, weird, frustrating, annoying, and somewhat unfruitful. Because I went to see a, a psychologist type person, whatever, to write a letter at Mount Sinai, but this was back in April. And I have not seen the letter yet. So... Are there any particular spaces in New York City that have been really important to you? Spaces like social or like physical? Physical spaces. I'd say Central Park. Um, I haven't explored a lot of the parks in like Brooklyn or whatever, because I, I know that they're, like, Prospect Park is supposed to be really good, nice nature park. But when I first moved here and before I had friends, I would go to Central Park after work and I would go sit on a big rock and read for hours. And while I didn't have any friends around me, there was a bunch of other people. And so I just sort of enjoyed the company of being around people, even if I wasn't able to talk to them. I know I could have talked to people, but I didn't, I'm not that kind of social person. Um, and so, yeah, I would spend a lot of time in Central Park. I explored quite a bit of it. Um, Sage and I actually had our third date at one of the waterfalls in the northern part of Central Park. Um, yeah, and we have we actually one of the very first pictures we took together was next to a different waterfall that's along the same river in Central Park. Um, and our very first kiss happened along the reservoir. So, um, but yeah, and there was a time when I went there to uh, make wands for uh, an upcoming wizarding LARP with another friend of mine. Um, and we found this random place in the middle of the park where there was a tree that was mostly enclosing us and we sat on the ground and we whittled at sticks and made them into wands. Can you tell me about LARP? Um, I mean, LARP, yeah, live action roleplay. Um, it hasn't been a super big part of 
anything for me, it's fun. Um, we did a Wizarding LARP last year in the summer. That was the first time I ever LARPed. And it was not a lot of fun for me. Um, other people had a lot of fun. I had a hard time finding things to do and people to, you know, play with. Um, but that's okay. That's, you know, you win some, you lose them. We did another LARP this year uh, called Event Horizon, where we were basically space pirates. Except I was in a space pirate, Saved was a space pirate. I was the the planet the planet we were on, which was New Gear. I was part of the militia. And so that meant that I was investigating things and tracking down people to arrest, which was fun. The part that wasn't fun was doing the um, uh, interviews. What's, what's it called? The... Um, where you, you bring them into thing. Uh, interrogation. Interrogation, that's the word. Yeah, so when you're doing interrogation um, after bringing them in, because that's a lot of exposition that I don't care about. So, and I mean, it's all player-driven, so it's all stuff that we're making up, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't care. I want to go out and, like, catch a thing. So um, I would frequently just sort of, like, leave, <laughs> which is fine. If you're not interested in doing that thing, you don't do that thing, so... Um, but yeah, there were some pretty cool parts. Actually, that also ties into Burning Man, because there was this really amazing person. Okay, so, sorry. Event Horizon, amazingly queer. The people that in, uh, created it, most of them are non-binary. Awesome. And so, the people that are drawn to this, a lot of really uh, amazing, fantastic, a lot of queer people, and a lot of trans people. They had three different dorms, a women's dorm, a men's dorm, and a... Um, non-gendered dorm and they didn't care which one you want to be in you could be for all they you could be and identify as a woman and stay in the men's dorm it just had to do with your comfortability so um sage and i stayed in the non-gendered dorm and it was awesome and um so they had this uh person angelo uh come and make these node things so he like welded these things into and like put them together in a way that like you then had it was basically a big puzzle thing and it had three different pieces that were at different parts of the um campus area thing that we were at and so the big finale for this game was we had to um well there was this really other big big node thing that a person could sit in and it was the interface between the planet and us and so the little nodes were basically to assign who had control over the um, interface with the planet. And there was a corporation that had control over the planet, but we sort of like kicked them off, but they still wanted control. So they were trying to fight for it. And there was another corporation that wanted it. And then like the people of New Gear wanted it. And so we ended up um, getting all three nodes. You had to have them all synced to the same command, which we did independent. And we managed to do that before the time ran out, of course. And then... Um, one of our people was absorbed into the, um, the interface or into the, the planet's, uh, um, artificial intelligence thing. And so, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun, but those huge things were made by this person who also goes to Burning Man and makes an art car that goes there. And so there was like one night during the LARP that like, I spent several hours talking to him and like playing with, uh, he also had the the synth machine thing to play music at the, um, what was the bar in game. And so I got to play with that for a while. 
stuff. Okay. Also lovely people. Also very accepting. I'm not surprised that a lot of, uh, if a lot of burners LARP or if a lot of LARPers burn, it's, it seems like it, they both draw a lot of the same mentalities. So. Are there aspects of either the Burner community or the LARPer community or the trans community that you specifically think should be remembered? Remembered in what way? Anything cemented when you think people will be looking back? Is there anything specific that you'd like to emphasize? Something that is stemming from all of these communities is consent and it's slowly leaking its way into the general population and I feel like that's really really important and something that is emphasized in all of the LARPs that I've ever um, encountered and something that is uh, being pushed for being the 11th principle of Burning Man so um, like of course in burner culture, having like radical acceptance, that's a huge thing. Um, and radical self-expression that helps a lot of people in explore, uh, self-exploration and expression and all that, which is great. And, uh, LARP communities are also big on, you know, not making assumptions about people. People will play, uh, roles with genders that are not obvious. So like the default in the LARPs that I go to are, uh, like the pronoun default is they, them. If you don't know their pronouns, you use they, them. And that's kind of a great rule of thumb, I think, because for a lot of people, you can't necessarily tell. Um, and while I know that, you know, the percentage of people on the planet that are trans, it's not a huge percentage, but like the people that you can't tell, like you can't always like, you should never assume that you know what somebody identifies as. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably those things. Consent and acceptance and expression, those sort of things. If you want people to hear one thing from you, what would it be? The only constant in this world is change. So it's important to embrace who you are at this moment. Whether or not it changes, that's okay.
Thank you so much for sitting down with me, Desi. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. Thank you.